0: Welcome back to Convergence. I'm Daniel Suddeth, joined by Brendan Crane. As always, we're so glad that you tuned in to give us a listen. Brendan, how are you doing?
1: <laughs> I am well. How are you, Daniel?
0: You know, my my cat celebrated her ninth birthday this week. Brendan, it's been a, it's been a great week. I know she didn't get a card from you, though. I meant to talk to you about that.
1: Yeah, you you asked me when I you know when you came in, and
0: honestly, I'm asking for her.
1: So so tell me a little bit about Daisy. Is she is she the angry type?
0: She she can be. She's from Indiana. That's all you need to know. <laughs> But we're not here to talk about Indiana this week, Brennan. We're here to talk about a very important issue in our state. Actually, two important issues in our state. They sometimes get mixed together, but they're very different. Uh, We're going to talk about medical marijuana. We're going to talk about hemp. We have a local farmer, not a stranger to anyone in the Barron County community. Joe Trigg is going to join us here in a minute. Should be a great show, Brennan.
1: Absolutely, and we'll look forward to it. All right. Today is going to be a good episode because, well, Joe Triggs here. That's the best part, I guess. Uh, But second of all, we're going to talk about uh, hemp. And, you know, that's something that's been in the news a lot, um, you know, in the last several months, especially. But now here um, in Kentucky, you know, the last uh, several days, we've had some action taken on hemp. So first, we want to say uh, hello, Joe. How are you
2: today? Well, I'm doing pretty well, and I'd like to thank you guys for inviting me to come here and just say a few things, and I hope I don't say something that offends too many people. absolutely well
1: we you know we want to talk about of course hemp and your relation to that of course I know you're um, a strong agriculture uh, presence here in Barron County especially so uh kind of give us a little bit of a wrap about you know you've had some experience just this past week in Frankfurt um, and tell us a little bit about uh, what's going on in Frankfurt first and then we'll kind of segue into what you exactly did up there
2: all right uh, this week in Frankfurt both issues actually came up and In case you're not aware, there are several pieces of legislation that are on the table for everything through hemp, through recreational marijuana. And uh, what I was up there about mainly was the medical marijuana. House Bill 136 was being pushed through the Judicial Committee, and I was up there to speak or testify about some of those issues.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, we have some information, of course. Um, You... You know, tell a little bit if you could give in. You know, a sixty-second wrap of yourself. You know, you have stood firmly on, um, you know, agriculture and everything. You've, you know, some people know that you obviously have a history in that. But for those listening that maybe don't know, tell tell us a little bit about your personal history with agriculture.
2: Yes, well. We grew up working on farms in the local community. We didn't own farm land ourselves. And then my brothers, a few of my brothers and I, were in the military and at one point we decided to buy our own land and start farming our own. So when we retired, we built greenhouses, we came back here. We're a part of Sustainable Glasgow, the Boundary of the Barrens Farmers Market. Uh, we started a what I called a program where you feed the poor and it was supposed to help the folks in. Uh, Louisville. uh, Didn't quite work the way we thought, but just been involved in different aspects. We have beef cattle, we have alfalfa hay, we have uh, vegetables, we have greenhouses, we have sweet corn, so very agriculture-related group of people we
1: are. Absolutely, and of course, uh, you know, like many others across the state and even in Berrien County alone, you sort of joined the uh, the farming of hemp and growing hemp and such. So tell us a little bit about how you've been involved in that. All right,
2: probably at one time or another, when I was in the military, we were part of the system that was the anti-drug, the DEA, the enforcement side, eradication of different crops and stuff in different locations. Uh, It wasn't hard to realize once I got back that uh, maybe things need to be looked at different. So when the opportunity arose a few years ago, Mr. Carmer had uh, approached us about being one of the ones to do the initial research program and my concern was uh, the legalities of it were so sketchy at that point I was pretty sure that if we planted a crop they would take our farm so we did not get engaged into it so in 2018 I coordinated with some folks in Bowling Green to get a feel for how this could be done we looked at various methods and it was pretty similar to the plasticulture program that we have for tomatoes and vegetables that we do our thing. So in 2019, we got our permit and we planted our first crop, which was about, total was about an acre and a, a quarter. Uh, right, in, as some would tell you, right in the middle of Glasgow, uh, we have 1.4 acres of hemp, is where we, what we planted last year.
1: And like you said, of course, hemp is no easy crop to grow. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, there are a lot of different avenues, I guess, uh, that you have to look at when you're considering growing that crop, for sure. I, I know just from, you know, talking with uh, hemp farmers and such, you know, about even down to the water consumption in the plant, you know, regulating that. And, and also uh, when you obviously harvest the crop, it's one of those crops that you have to sort of um, strip, I guess, you know, just like tobacco, you have to sort of kind of do a multi-process with that. It's not just like picking a tomato and then eating it.
2: Yes. Yes, sir. And it's a, if it was easy, I guess everybody would do it, and everybody's jumped on the bandwagon to do it, and they found out that it isn't that easy. It's pretty labor-intensive. Uh, of course, we practiced with the plastic culture program that we've had for other vegetables. We were able to eliminate some of the labor associated with growing the crop. But once you start stripping, I mean— once you start cutting hemp, hanging it in the barn, and then dropping it down and stripping it, then it becomes just as labor-intensive as tobacco was.
0: It seems like hemp, as you are aware of, Joe, was just marketed almost as this magic crop by a lot of legislators, um, even up until end of 2019. I know discussing this with you in the past, you had some concerns even six, seven, eight months ago before a lot of this seemed to have come to a head recently there are a lot of farmers who are growing hemp, though, that are struggling, am I correct, in, in finding a market for their crops?
2: Yes, and, and unfortunately, uh, it's you got to look at it almost like a commodities issue. If you have too much supply and uh, there are bottlenecks, and the bottlenecks are do you have enough processors to process the hemp that's available, and then you have the bottlenecks that are associated with the demand side. So... Uh, with our laws and the, the way our program was run in the state of Kentucky, uh, we chose to go with no quota. In other words, any farmer can grow, uh, get a license to grow hemp, and you can grow as much hemp as you can afford to grow. And it's a, uh, it's a pricey crop to start with, and uh, that has been the downfall of a lot of folks. So right now the, the market is, is bottoming bottom them out. There are some predatory, you, really you can't say predatory, there are, are processors and brokers for processors who are offering exorbitantly low prices for hemp. And that's just being, that's business. That's America and that's doing business. But if we'd, uh, when I was running for the ad Commissioner, I was an advocate for a quota system similar to tobacco for hemp. And if we would have done that, then... Uh, I don't think the pressure would have been as great on us as farmers trying to get rid of our product, but I also think it would have made it easier for some of the processors because they were caught in the the same kind of fickle where they were expecting a certain price, uh, to pay a certain price and get a certain price, and when the bottom started falling out of the market, then everybody suffered. So I believe as we talk now that probably four to five of the largest processor slash processor teams are filing for bankruptcy and that means there are more than likely thousands of tens of thousands of acres of hemp that does not have a home.
1: Sure and that's an interesting concept that you bring up about you know the quota system because a lot of the time I guess you know a lot of us are plainly just ignorant of how agriculture is such a huge industry in that it's not just simply being a farmer you know having to know um, things about the industry from what sort of you know what crops are going to grow best here or, you know, whatever, to even the economic standpoint on, you know, what what's the best thing to do, what's feasible enough for me, uh, of course, speaking hypothetically as if I were a farmer. But anyway, I'm glad you brought that up about the quota system too. And, Daniel, do you have something on that?
0: Yeah, I was just going to also mention from a farmer standpoint, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, where there's some, some regulations put in as far as the percentage and the quality of what they could grow as far as how that affected uh, percentage-wise of what could pertain certain elements of uh, the, the THC, isn't it, That's supposed to be they, they had a lower level than what some other people had advocated for, and how does that affect it?
2: All right. For the only way they could legally get this to, to bypass and fly probably in the, the U.S. Congress and in all of the states that did it was, was hemp was looked at as not – it's a part of the cannabis family, but they tried to dis, disassociate it with marijuana. So to do that, you had to have a THC percentage that was very low. Most states and the U.S. Uh, USDA went with, I believe it's 0.3. And there's some fallacy in that. 0.3 means you can really be point three nine 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 to mm-hmm. infinity, but you're up under 4. So legally, as long as it's up, up under 4, it meets the definition of being a 0.3 THC contact plant. So- Where does that put you? Uh, The majority of folks are growing hemp for CBD oil, and everyone should know there's a direct correlation between THC levels and CBD levels. The higher the THC level, normally the better quality and higher the CBD you will uh, get from the plants. But the factor that's caused a lot of the problems this year are stress. So if we look at the spring so far or the winter it's been very wet same way it was last year Mm -hmm. that means if this continues on up into uh, may and june then the ground will be deeply saturated with water and perfect growing areas may not be perfect and then when you put those plants in uh, you stress the plants and if you're a gardener you know if you have too much water or if you take too much water out or you give too much fertilizer you stress the plant normally to do something that you wasn't expecting so a lot of farmers that were new to this industry like myself we did what we were supposed to do but the environment maybe not us but the environment weather stressed the plants and it's a backdoor kind of thing when we talk about these numbers, but it is estimated that probably 50% of the hemp grown in Kentucky tested hot. In other words, it was over the four limit at least, and then that left it, you couldn't transport it around the state, and you couldn't sell it. Now, last week or this week on Tuesday, I believe the Kentucky pushed forth a resolution asking the, the feds to allow Kentucky to use uh, one percentage point as the new standard. And that was an attempt to try to help all of the farmers who have been caught up in this uh, give them an avenue to move that product uh, for, for a time being. But, that will affect
0: the quota aspect of that, right? Even if you raise it to 1%, you're still going to have probably the same number of farmers trying to grow the same number of acres.
2: Yes, and... I did a couple of newspaper and op-eds and we talk about the gold rush. And the gold rush was, and I still believe, it has the potential to help every farmer in Kentucky. There, but it has to be under a quota system similar to what we had with tobacco. And that what that does is it stabilizes the market so you don't have an oversupply. And it also, you get universities, the medical folks involved, and you get a standard. You can start standardizing the product, so you don't have the ups and downs. And whether we like it or not, you got to have the bear or Monsanto. Somebody mm-hmm. of that group has to be involved, so that all the seeds and everybody's product kind of meets a code. Mm-hmm. And then once you do that, then uh, that would that would help offset some. So of this. and
0: Daniel don't need to go start their own hemp field at the back of the Glasgow Daily Times under our nice little. Uh, Grassy area back there. I'm just kidding, but. Uh, uh, well, they-
1: <laughs> I was going to say here at uh, WCLU, you know, we would, we have a, sort of a concrete or, a, I guess, a blacktop surface in the back of the Cultural Center. It has a wonderful parking lot, but I'm certain that it won't be uh, fertile ground for growing hemp. So. We'll talk
0: about this later, Brendan. Yeah. We can figure out something.
1: <laughs> well, you know, you started on something, and perhaps uh, it had something to do with the medical side of things. I'm not yes. sure. Uh, because, I, you know, you mentioned the medical side of things, and that's sort of where we, you know, obviously introed uh, with the show. We talked a little bit about your involvement uh, this past week, um, advocating for that, of course, you know, just a little bit, you know, so next Tuesday is when the House is supposed to sort of, you know, meet again to, uh, you know, of course, you mentioned the Judiciary Committee, it moved out of committee, uh, and the whole thing that moved out was, you know, hopefully getting medical cannabis to be able to be used in Kentucky for medical uh, problems, and a physician could actually prescribe that. So talk a little bit about your involvement this week uh, with that.
2: Well, uh, the whole, again, the whole time I was campaigning for the Ag Commissioner, and then afterwards I've been an advocate saying all of these crops are agricultural crops, and the control of them, the use of them, uh, should be the Department of Agriculture. Uh, House Bill 136 is the bill that uh, was at the Judiciary Committee this week, and again I was asked to uh, to speak, and there was some concern about what position I was taking, and a lot of folks thought I was on the negative side. I was on the positive side. In other words, I was a hundred percent advocate for uh, medical marijuana. Let's let's use cannabis from now on and don't say marijuana because it ups So So I was a hundred percent for the medical cannabis. But I was a little bit perturbed by a lot of the provisions that were put into House Bill 136. And then the last within the last twenty-four hours, they added or week they added a whole bunch of stuff that was slated toward large corporate America. And I would like for everyone that hears this to understand where I'm going with this. If we look at the hemp industry and the issues that we're having, most of them are large corporate America is what put us in the bind that we're in. And if we walk that same path with the medical cannabis, I would say that we will have a monopoly, which is technically not legal in the U.S. We will have uh, over a very short period of time, we will have three or four groups will have a monopoly on medical cannabis in the state of Kentucky. And history speaks for itself. Every state that has done a super tight medical cannabis legislation and super tight limitation on who can grow and who can do the whole process has ended up with a large group of corporate, a small group of corporate folks own that whole state. And they own it vertically and horizontally, and uh, there is no way to entrench them. And I'll go out on a line and maybe a limp here and say that, A lot of that funding is the money that they couldn't because everybody knows there's some banking issues. So a lot of the folks have a lot of cash to pull into a so-called cash-poor state like ours Mm -hmm. to get what they want to do. And then when it falls apart, they'll take all our cash and go somewhere else and do the same thing over. So if you look at history, you'll see the same – the issues that I was talking about in front of the Judicial Committee – have occurred in every state, and if it goes forward the way it is, we, we'll walk down that same path ourselves.
0: So basically, it's a Kentucky issue that you want to see Kentucky farmers and Kentucky people be able to address, not large corporate, you know, interest and in something being again controlled by out of state interest.
2: Yes, and uh, I mean, it's it's big business. Everyone should realize. Uh, if you look at the tax dollars that have come to all of those states, they're looking at it and they're saying, well, uh, pity me, the, If California's small farmers went back and sued the state because they says, hey, you promised we was going to stand a chance, and everybody knows that that didn't happen. Uh, the state of Illinois, they have 20, I think they, they contacted me about the quota system, they have 20, like, major groups that own the whole state of Illinois. So you're looking at I believe 600,000 medical uh, cannabis users versus the state of Kentucky might have 60. But a small group controls the whole state. So when they did their legislation for recreational marijuana, which came very shortly after medical marijuana, again, history shows that when you have very, very tight legislation and uncontrolled parameters associated with it the black market increases first thing happens is the price goes up and the price for the medical marijuana gets so high that the guys go back to the black market the street bootleggers to get their marijuana mm-hmm. and then at that point most states have had to just it's so far out of control they've had to legalize recreational to try to get it back in check and Illinois is running into that problem every other state has And then what they did on their recreational ones, they started limiting the size of greenhouses to 5,000 square feet. And then they opened up some minority opportunities because, as I said Tuesday, this bill has no provisions for any – no farmer in any county, small farmer, medium farmer, large farmer will be involved – in medical marijuana, unless they're doing it to spite me saying what I'm saying. Do
0: you think, though, that some farmers in Kentucky may have some of that hesitation? Kind of like you spoke of on the hemp side, and I hate talking about them because I think a lot of people confuse hemp with marijuana and they're totally different. Right. Um, but as far as growing marijuana, obviously, marijuana is still federally illegal. So do you think there would be some hesitation from a smaller farmer saying, even if I could grow this, I don't want my farm taken from me if the federal government decides to get hasty with enforcing this law? Or do you think that's something that has to be a joint effort between the state and the federal government to
2: kind of pave the way for that? I, I don't know if the the feds would actually get involved in taking your farms. I don't think the state would get involved in uh, taking your farms because we're past – we kind of like a seesaw, and we're past that equilibrium point as far as the number of states that are already doing it. It'd be too much to do. Uh What I'll say, though, is, is all of this, like right now in the medical marijuana bill, all of the medical cannabis has to be grown inside a greenhouse. So now you're talking about a facility that has heat, air conditioning, lighting. lighting, the whole nine yards because there's some – some growing limitations on marijuana that most folks aren't aware of. And, and typically, it was designed for, like most plants in our state and country, it has a specific time frame that's when it does its best. When you try to grow outside those parameters, that's when you stress the plant and you stress yourself because now you got greenhouses and you're trying to heat and cool and do things to the plant. But the sun isn't cooperating with you. So then you block out the sun. Now you got lights and your electric bill. So most small farmers, medium-sized farmers and large farmers, can't afford the cost. Right. So the, the large corporate guys will come in, and again, with the money that they have that they haven't been able to put in, any banking thing, they can bring that money into the, to our state and then... Hey, once we do it, when they finish with us, they'll go to the next day. The next day, they'll just move in a little circle and move that money. It'll build up on itself. And then one day, you know, that's where we'll stand.
0: Sure. I just, you know, I wonder if there's not a way that our state cannot offer some credits to smaller farmers, medium-sized farmers, and make that work. But more importantly, I'd like to know, since this is a pressing issue, we could go on about that. Do you see amendments being made to this before next week, or do you think it's going to be pushed through kind of how it, it is?
2: Well, the, uh, the lobbyists were there in force, and we understand that money runs, uh, runs this country. So Absolutely. I quoted a – it was in U, one of UK's little pamphlets that they send out, and they talk about the force multiplier of the small farm and the quota systems for tobacco and what it did. And what it generates realistically, the same amount of tax dollars, but the the money flows out into the communities. Because if you're raising the crop, you're buying fertilizer from somebody local. You're buying gas. You're spending time. You got workers from somewhere local. And then that money is being spent in the community. So that local multiplier is greater when... You have a quota system, and you allow three or four small farms per county, versus five um, for the whole state. Because and, and five isn't the right number. They're going to have the bill says they will have I think eighteen cultivator producer type operations who making mass amounts as opposed to yes, a smaller. Super grow mass amounts saying, uh, I was using the term oxymoron doing my presentation a lot, and I also use the term follow the money. And if you you look at it, say, for instance, uh, they want those greenhouses to be 50,000 square feet. And then there's a provision that uh, if there's an increase in demand, they can do it three times. So now you're looking at 150,000 square foot. I don't know many small farmers, medium-sized farmers or large farmers, can afford a right. hundred and fifty thousand square hmm. You're talking, uh, four you know, two to three acres mm-hmm. of greenhouses, and then with the processing units attached to it. So, of course, and then if you can't borrow the money from the bank, where are you gonna get the money? Where does right. the mo- follow the money? Yeah, I mean, that's where probably. you get in trouble. Huh? Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, so just to be clear, you know. Everything it sounds like, of course, you know. I'm sure you're not the only one that's advocating for a quota system in Frankfurt. Is that a true statement?
2: Uh, I would say that there's not many. today. As we as we talk, there are uh, a lot of eyes were open. I believe by mm-hmm. what I talked about, and uh, I, I received enough phone calls yesterday and today that suggest to me that there is a a movement to try to say, can we disperse the growth or cultivation of this product through every county versus it being consolidated in select areas by who who you know and who you pay the sure. most. So I would hope that is happening. Now, there was one other oxymoron I think that's probably as, as important as everything else. Uh, we have the tightest legislation supposedly in the country, but there's the, the biggest issue is is no – patient or cardholder uh, can not smoke and or grow uh, this plant so most states are just about every state they let the patient or cardholder grow up to one to six plants and then uh, whatever they do in their own home with a card is considered own thing up. but uh, in our state uh, we said we want a no smoking restriction so what that does is you can't grow it, and you can't smoke it. And then, but you can buy the flowers to smoke at the dispensary. But they will be marked with uh, "for consumption, not for consumption by smoking." So, I'll just we can laugh. I'll add a little humor here. I suggested that I'm a 62 year old man, and uh, I don't know if my digestive system could handle me eating raw or the, in brownies or cupcakes or whatever, right. my digestive system couldn't handle mm-hmm. them. Brendan likes jello. You you know, yeah. <laughs> that product. So think about it. Who's going to profit from it? The dispensaries. And now folks are forced to go to dispensaries. And big then business. Big business. Whereas mm-hmm. if you had, you know, you could grow your own, everybody's not going to be able to grow. And you're going to need the dispensaries for those who can't, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't need the quantity and then that would be restrictive to the large corporate entities. So, of course, they said, uh-uh, no growing by the individual. You know, we're going to keep this nice and tight. And uh, I believe my testimony uh, Wednesday shed a lot of light on those aspects of it. Well, I
0: read your comments, and I thought they were spot on. I personally agree with it. I think this is an issue. and so glad to have you on the program to, to talk about from the agricultural standpoint and also a little bit about, you know, How this affects other people? Because I think most people, when they hear about medical marijuana, they immediately think about the patient or someone who has issues with a disease or something, and they think about that. Which we should, obviously. It's a, you know, it's something that could help them, but also it's you know an opportunity for farmers. Because what you talked about earlier, I mean, three to four farmers in Barron County could have the ability to grow this. I mean, even as big of an agricultural area as we are, it would have a huge impact on our county just because you know, you have issues with farmers downsizing, you have dairy issues with, you not, know, you know, being as big of a dairy place anymore, and to have something like that to help our community for something that's also helping people who are dealing with those diseases, I, it's that classic political saying of a win-win, and it's just, you know, hard to wrap our heads around while that's not being proposed that way.
1: Sure, and just so people understand, you know, as of now, when you're growing hemp here in, in Barron County, uh, what's the process look like, you know, who do you sell this to and where does it go? And, and how does essentially what I'm trying to ask, I guess, is how is that going to return to the community um, if we can't obviously use it from a medical standpoint? So how what would you say to that?
2: All right. The, the, the way the process works is, is first off, you have to decide to take this financial risk upon yourself. Mm-hmm. And then you apply through the Department of Agriculture to get a permit and you put, in most cases, the folks put their whole farm on their permit. In other words, they can grow anywhere on their farm. So that's if you have a five-acre farm, you can grow five acres. If you have a 200-acre farm, you could put all 200 acres on there, and you could grow up to 200 acres on your own land. So that's the, the biggest step is is you make a commitment to say, hey. Now, the cost is the same, another oxymoron. It, to do a acre or a small greenhouse is the same cost as doing a thousand acres. Hmm. So that doesn't, you know, it doesn't.
1: It's, it's not a, yeah, that's not. Uh, yes, doesn't seem logical.
2: It, I guess. Well, you know, it's it's designed to help those who want to do. Sure. More. So. You would you do that process, and then you go through the growing. Uh, most used transplants like we do with tobacco. Right. And then you plant them. You go through all of the uh, harvesting, which is storing in a barn, drying. So then my advice is is for if you're going to enter the hemp business, you have a contract with a processor for your product. Now, I have to be honest with you, and then – I'll be honest. we sure. media. Do
0: you want to be honest with us? Well, yeah.
2: uh, well it, it, it makes it easier for me if I'm My honest. Turn that you. microphone <laughs> off. We have a uh, we have a contract with a group, and uh, they provided we we bought the transplants from this group with the understanding and the agreement that we will sell our transplants, our product back to that group. The price has failed so low that it has affected their ability to buy the product and meet the conditions of our contract. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, unfortunately for me, when I was doing the contract, I I, I didn't foresee a time factor. If I'd have saw, foresaw the future, I would have probably had wanted to put in there, within six months of me harvesting this, I will be paid at this price. But no one... I can't say no one because I talked about it for over a year and a half, I, I was, but I was hoping that we would be able to get through one or two years without this oversupply, glut of the market, and uh, failure of processors. Because the, the, if the processors can't process it, then you can grow it. There's and it another. just stores, and then there you are. You're just stuck yeah. with a whole bunch of product and a large number of farmers, especially, uh, hey, I'm going to just say a, a large number of farmers here in Barron County have still have their product, and uh, we're looking for a home. And that's me with the contract. 90% of the farmers did not have a contract. Wow. And they were going out there on the open market. And on the open market, commodities market, if you have oversupply, and it's it's just gonna knock the bottom out of it, and sure. uh, I'll just throw this out there. Last year, some of the minim- minimum prices that folks were receiving was around uh, uh, two to three, maybe four dollars per point, and most folks. Hemp tested at a minimum of six, and some went for 10. So that would mean they were receiving about $40 per pound. I was recently called, and I immediately called the Department of Agriculture to express my concern. A predatorial group of processors called and offered us three cents a pound. So the average varies on what kind of operation you do, but... If you're looking at ten thousand per acre and somebody offers you, you get about a thousand pounds per acre and mm-hmm. somebody offers you three cents per acre, it costs you ten thousand dollars and somebody just offered you thirty dollars yeah. for your whole crop. Yeah. Right. So that adds to the insult, and then like I say, with the fall of major processing groups right. slash teams we have to be concerned.
1: Exactly, exactly. Well, I think you brought up a lot of good points today, and and it's something, again, that's not just simplistic. I think that's the most important thing to realize, that it's not just, you know, we're going to grow it, we're going to sell it, and repeat. Because we see this across all factors of, I think, agriculture. I mean, the hemp industry is not the only industry of agriculture that's suffering. I mean, we have clearly heard about the dairy industry and how big market dairy has pretty much, you know, drove the smaller market out. Um, so I think what you're advocating for is really interesting. And I, I do think that that, you know, hopefully, you know, legislators will take some of that advice and, and kind of shape that when they're looking at that. So again, you know, we have some information, of course, from the Associated Press, they, that they're, of course, you know, saying that the House Judiciary Committee did pass this. And we obviously understand that. But then we um, here have some comments from House Speaker David Osborne saying that, uh, you know, House Republicans will gauge support when the GOP led legislature reconvenes uh, Tuesday. So, hopefully, we'll we'll be able to see something uh, closer to time with that. So, in terms of how you'll be involved, uh, do you? I mean, I I firmly believe, just from what I heard today, that I think you'll obviously upkeep your, um, you know, voicing your opinion and and you know, keeping up with this advocation.
2: Yes. Well, I guess technically, I've been asked to. What's the compromise that can be made mm-hmm. so that makes this happen? And I've, I uh, I talked to the uh, leaders of the K- K- the Kentuckians for Medical Marijuana. I think it's KY4MM. And I told them here were the uh, the items that I would push if I you know if I was God for a day. These are the things that I would push. Sure. You know? And number one would be is. It, uh, I would just, I would put the uh, opportunity for every patient slash cardholder to grow his own up one to six plants. Right. Uh, The second thing that I would do, they just added in the producer category. I would immediately remove that category and there are four tiers. I would reduce it to one tier and just have you can grow a 25, you can have a 2500 square foot greenhouse. On your farm and and pass licenses out that way and if you do the math with the total number of of, uh, square footage that they were talking about I believe it was like right at nine hundred thousand square feet is what they estimate and if you divide that you end up with somewhere between three and four hundred small twenty five hundred square foot and then that would give every county three to four the potential for three to four small farmers to have uh, the USDA greenhouses in those counties and then all of those tax dollars would flow uh, One final thing that's probably more interesting is is uh, they were able to change the legislation where each county or city has to opt out So I believe the whole state will be if it's approved the whole state will be, technically wet and you got to look at it along the lines of alcohol the Mm -hmm. majority of the state is still has some kind of compromise wet dry moist right i mean and that's the state and the nature of the uh the voters that we live in so say for instance baron county's magistrates could opt out of the medical marijuana if you know i think to take four of them to vote no we want to opt out. Well, then what that would do is then the city of Glasgow or Cave City, if they wanted it, they would have to do the wet petition the same way we've done with alcohol. Interesting. And so the, in the very first paragraph of when I was speaking up her, I talked about it was pro, prohibition in disguise again. <laughs> exactly. You know, I said, you, you, know, you just pulled a, a feather. Yeah, sure. You yeah. know, yeah. and you, so they'll say, hey, these are the tax dollars that's going to come. And, again, with U.K. and everything else, the tax dollars will still come to the state. But it's going to be interesting to see how counties that have traditionally voted dry, mm-hmm. right. how they decide.
1: And, you vote. know, and, like well, us. Mm-hmm. Well, and I was going to say, too, you say tax dollars. Of course, looking at it from a state level, that's great. But, you know, we obviously want to advocate for our own county's purpose, too, I think. And, mm-hmm.
2: and so uh, the way it's worded is if, if you stay opt-in. And if there's any cannabis operations in your county, uh, then some tax dollars will flow okay. back down to you. And uh, I've always been the, the guy saying that uh, I'd rather for the tax dollars to flow up, out, and up versus top down, because top down. You might get it, you might not. Yeah. Everybody knows what flows down. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, I, you know, I, I thank you for coming on today. Daniel, do you mm-hmm. have any anything else that you no,
2: like? No, we appreciate you, Joe, as always. In closing, and I, I did this Wednesday, sure. I uh, I advocated that before we take another step, that we need to establish the Kentucky's Cannabis Commission or Committee. Mm-hmm. And then what they would do is, is they would coordinate hemp, medical, and recreational. They would be all the coordination, and it would really only affect Three different committees. The ABC would probably, they're good at doing regulatory, let them do like they do with alcohol. The dispensaries and the processors, like they do distilleries and retail stores, let them manage and control that. Public health has to be involved because, mm-hmm. hey guys, the first gummy or vape baby that our kid. That's in the hospital. Right. That's the end of uh, all That's the end really. of all this. So you gotta have public health and then put the cultivation part over under the Department of Agriculture sure. for all three entities.
1: Sure. And that's what I was gonna say, of course, the Department of Agriculture is kind of handling all of that at this point, right?
2: Uh they're only handling the hemp. The right. medical marijuana, the Department of Agriculture will have nothing to do with okay, it. Okay, okay.
1: I see. Interesting. All right. Well, again, thank you for coming on today. And again, a lot of good information, a lot of uh, things that are going to be happening in the coming days. So we'll certainly hope to to see some positivity come out of this. And hopefully, uh, you know, some of those things that you talked about today, um, hopefully that can help shape this legislation. Uh, and, and one more thing before we close out today. Uh, you know, I think just for your uh, work on this, we have to do a hemp, hemp, hooray. You want to do that?
2: Let's do it. Bye. All
1: right.
0: We'll do that. You ready?
2: <laughs> well, hold on. Cannabis, hooray. <laughs> okay. All right, all right. Hip, hip, hooray. All right. <laughs> One, two, three. Hip, hip, hip hooray. hooray. <laughs> that was good. All right. Thank you, Joe.
1: <laughs> I just have to say that I'm impressed from this episode that we were able to do a hemp hip hooray. Uh, you know, that that's my favorite part. And I I mean, honestly, we could just end it right there. And I think people would be satisfied.
0: Brandon, you forced us to do that. And you threatened us. <laughs> you no, know, did. didn't. You know, but it was pretty awesome. I enjoyed it as well.
1: Yeah. But on a serious note, Joe had a lot of good points today. I think, of course, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, the way. You know, Joe has advocated for this. Of course, he did mention his uh, bit of running for ag commissioner. Of course, that didn't go the way he planned, uh, but nonetheless, he's still kind of proven to be an advocate for uh, what he sort of ran on and, of course, continuing into this. And and I just think it's unique because, of course, Joe is a black farmer. I mean, and that, that obviously here, in, especially in Kentucky, you know, that's uh, a minority. I mean, you don't see a lot of black farmers, or at least I've not observed a lot.
0: He's a black farmer. He's a veteran. He's been elected city council multiple times. Uh, He's very active in the community, Uh, very knowledgeable, you know, just about so many different topics and just wanted to have him on the show today because I've been asked multiple times over the past week, just about this, this issue uh, specifically, especially the part about hemp. I think a lot of people know that hemp farmers are struggling. They're starting to see some of that leak out, but they're not really sure The process of it because it's complicated and you know what joe talked about about the quota system that's something he's opined for for you know two years ago i remember him bringing that up and it does make a lot of sense when you see it because i think too you know some of this we're on the cutting edge of and the state of kentucky obviously not in other states but i think a lot of it maybe will be hashed out in committees and hopefully changed, you know, before it becomes legislation. But I totally agree with Joe, there are parts of that legislation for the medical marijuana side right now that make absolutely no sense. And obviously, could be more damaging to people than actually helping them.
1: Sure. And I know it's a lot to wrap your head around. Of course, we strayed away from the term medical marijuana, because we obviously aren't giving the notion toward marijuana um, itself in this, uh, you know, conversation, but also the differentiation between hemp and medical marijuana. Obviously, um, there's a bit of a difference too, and we're, we're categorizing those in terms of the consumption of those. So nonetheless, I'm glad Joe could join us today. It's always good, of course, to have guests here on Convergence. And, you know, at the end of every episode, we always spill out how you can reach us and all of this stuff. And of course, we've spilled it out multiple times. Um, so I do want to say, you know, just let us know about things going on, things that are important to you. And uh, of course, thank you for listening, as always.
0: Absolutely. And you can reach me at D-S-U-D-D-E-A-T-H at GlasgowDailyTimes.com. Give me a call at the office, 270-678-5171.
1: Yes, same way for me, Brenn, B-R-E-N-N.creen at gmail.com or 270-651-9149. So we're going to wrap up Convergence today and we'll look forward to our next episode.
0: Local podcast.